0: Welcome into another episode of The Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Our guest today is comedian and podcaster Greg Fitzsimmons. What a fun time we had with Greg. We have interviewed over 50-plus comedians on this podcast, over 200 total folks, celebrities, and just a lot of fun and interesting people. We get a chance to talk to them and just really get to know them and hear their story. So head over to brettallenshow.com and check out all of the latest episodes. We also have more amazing people coming down the podcast very soon, but Greg was very gracious with us in his time. We talked about going back to work during this pandemic-ish or wherever we're at with it, and spending time with family, and just a lot of things that he's done in his career. He was very honest and candid, and uh, one of the nicest people on the planet. So again, we're available on all the platforms. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review. It really does help, and it keeps the show going. Also, we're available everywhere. Just type in Brett Allen Show, or yell Brett show on your Alexa or whatever it is that you use and we will come right up. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode with comedian Greg Fitzsimmons.
1: You're listening to The Brad Allen Show, a pop culture podcast. Have you subscribed to this show yet? I've tried bribes. I've tried gifts. You should. It's absolutely free. I even sent him some pet oxen. Now back to the show with your host, Brad Allen. Welcome to another episode of the Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished. A pop culture podcast. Join Brett weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, (gasps) television, comedy, and much more. Inconceivable. Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so going to party. (laughs) Now, here's your host, Brett Allen.
0: Greg, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today.
2: It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I like your exposed wood beams. It's. I can see where you're going with the low angle shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you can't see. Actually, it's so you don't see the pile of clothes and stacks oh. of crap <laughs> behind me. Uh huh. I mean, I would like to say it's due to artistic choice, but there's just a lot yeah. of stuff. I have my son coming over today, and so I've been... Rushing around, taking care of laundry, and getting things done. So, right, the cat's out of the bag now as to why I have the uh, the odd angle. I now I feel really motivated to have to just clean for my next interview.
2: Yeah, right. I'm gonna, I wanna. I always. I'm always curious when I do a Zoom. I almost want people to pick up their their computer and show me around their place. Oh, but.
0: I'll show you if you want to see it. I, I mean, it is what it is, but it's just, I mean, basically a, a, a tiny house or a shed that's been converted into a living space. And so there's a loft, that's the loft that you see. And then there's a chair and there's a TV on the wall. And so it acts as a studio slash living space. So nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's funny. You're not the only person that's ever asked. I, it's interestingly enough, I had uh, Tim Gunn on some time ago, and he saw the same thing and started to ask a bunch of questions. And then I wound up showing him multiple people <laughs> that So, yeah. Um, so I guess the big question is, is what has been keeping you busy? And how has life been for you during this whole crazy time of, of pandemic and lockdown?
2: Um, it's Things been going reasonably well, you know. It's uh, luckily, I've, I think having three podcasts has made me feel a little bit like I have a job. Gives me a reason to leave the house. You know, I have okay. an office that's literally five minutes from here, and so I just get up in the morning. I have my rituals, take care of the dogs, get caffeinated, and then I head off to the office, and um, and I get those done, and then. You know, I've written a couple couple scripts and I've I've gone on the road doing stand up, I think three times, maybe four times in the last 12 months. And uh, that was mixed. That was a mixed bag.
0: Yeah. A lot of people have different opinions on that as far as the socially distant shows and that sort of thing. So for you. I, it sounds like it just kind of split down the middle.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was good to get out, uh, but it's like, you know, with stand-up, the I've never not done it for more. I've been doing it for 31 years. I've never done it. never taken a break for more than two weeks in 31 years. And then to take a year off and then suddenly just go back on stage felt weird because it wasn't that I couldn't remember my act as much as I just, the juices just weren't flowing. Sure. You know, it was like going from standing still to running a marathon and you haven't worked out, you know? And so, uh, so I did a lot of crowd work and I had a lot of new material, you know, stuff that I've been thinking of over time and, uh, and I got through it, but now, now I, now I'm starting to like, I'm going to start trying to consistently go on the road. Now the things have like calmed down a little bit. So I got some dates coming up and and we'll see how those feel.
0: Have you done any of the zoom type shows or zoom crowd work? Has that been something that you've been a part of or Have you just kind of stayed away from that and just focused on writing and your podcast and that sort of thing?
2: You know, I tried it once. Drew Barrymore has this TV show and they asked me to perform on it and uh, it was a disaster. It was just really, really terrible. And I said, I'm never going to, and I get asked to do them all the time. And I just just feel like if people see me do that, they're going to think I suck.
0: I don't know. Like, I mean, you've been doing this, as you said, for so long. And I mean, you're everywhere. I, I think I can't not turn on the TV and you're a part of something or a special or whatever. So I can imagine, and I've heard a lot of other comics say the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, some have chosen to do the Zoom, some have not. Some are just waiting until people get vaccinated and then they're going to go out and tour. Some are touring in other places that are more open. So I guess it's just kind of like, going to be interesting to see what comedy live comedy looks like right in the coming months and even the years i imagine or at least the next year or so for sure
2: yeah i mean i i don't know it, on, on one hand people have been socialized to not want to be close to each other and on the other hand people are so bottled up i think there's going to be a certain euphoria when they tell us that we can have some freedom to go out again So I don't know which of those dynamics is going to win out and how, how full the clubs will be, but I can see outdoor shows as the weather gets nicer. Now I can see more people doing outdoor shows like what Chappelle did last summer.
0: Yeah. He seemed to really kind of spearhead that whole thing and invite a lot of comedians out to visit him and to perform live. And then, I think Joe Rogan was doing things outside too in Texas. So that seemed to be quite popular as well. It seemed like every big name like yourself was there performing every weekend, just kind of getting that out of their system, right? And being able to perform and do comedy. Right. Yeah. I think too, as a comedian, from what I understand, just from an outside perspective, somebody kind of described the Zoom thing as like the methadone for like the real thing, but you can't really replace it i don't know if you kind of felt the same way yeah that sounds about right
2: (laughs) if you know because it usually when you're on the road you're like working towards building a new hour or you've at least got like i've always got a sheet of paper with thoughts on it and 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 i'm i'll pull it out during an hour-long set i'll pull it out and for 10 minutes i'll try out some new stuff and like that builds on itself then those thoughts turn into actual bits in your act and you sort of move something out you move that in and there's like a whole process, a whole creative process that goes on as you're continually on the road. And when you just show up and you do it for the first time in months and you know you're not going to do it again for another month or two, it sort of feels like, well, why, why get into the creative process? All you really can do is go up and try to do a great show that night. One show is usually connected to a bigger arc of where you're at.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that too, like here in the Bay Area, like at the clubs, Cobbs and Punchline, when a comic like yourself is coming through, it's usually like some greatest hits, some new material, and then a few other things. And then you wind up seeing a special on television and you're like, oh, I've heard that joke before, or that sounds familiar. Maybe a different iteration of it, and that's what you're referring to, right, as far as just really building out lines and your jokes and your premises and all of that, pretty much.
2: Yeah, and transitions, you know, how how that joke finds its way into a bunch of other stuff that you already have. Um, you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle and you're always putting pieces in and, uh, building towards, you know, you'll have a closing bit that'll last for six months, maybe a year, if it's a really strong bit that you keep adding to. And that's like your firework show at the end where it's like, boom, 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 boom. And then, um, but that, that closing bit takes night after night of doing it and really trying to make that pop. Uh, yeah. So you, it doesn't pop when you haven't done it in two months.
0: (laughs) It's kind of like a false start, right? Where it's like, well, this is where people laughed three months ago, but now it's like complete crickets. Right. Right. And it's not even like you're bombing necessarily, but it's just like, Oh, well that didn't land quite as well as I had hoped. Right. That's kind of the idea. And you're like, well, I guess it's back to the drawing board, so to speak. Well, I think what you do and other comedians do is just, fascinating to me. That's why I love talking to comedians and every conversation is just different because you have your process that is different from the next person's and the next person's on down the road. I'm very curious when you started out doing comedy did you, were you one of those that would just go club to club and get as much stage time as you could? Or what was your way in or your process when you realized at some point in your life that you wanted to do comedy and to do, and to be a comedian full time?
2: Yeah. I mean, I started out really hungry because when I was a kid, I grew up in New York and I used to go to the comedy clubs as a teenager and I'd see Seinfeld and, you know, Paul Reiser and uh, Richard Belzer and, uh, you know, all these great comics. And I knew I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I memorized comedy albums and I watched on TV. And then I think when I started doing it, I was in college. And so I would go to I would go to class during the day. And then at night, I would go to the clubs and I'd hang around and I'd sign up for open mic nights and I'd try to get spots. And, and I did that. And then by the time I graduated college, I was like a working comic, you know, I had gigs, and I just was super hungry, and I would go out, it was me and Joe Rogan, we, we basically lived together. He was, he was dating my roommate, so for like <laughs> a year, we lived together. We'd get in the car together, we'd write during the day, and then at night we'd get in a car, and we'd drive to Maine for the night, no hotel, drive home, the next night, drive to New Hampshire, next night, drive to Rhode Island, all, all to make, you know, sometimes 25 bucks, sometimes 50 bucks, and just like hustled and then when we were in town we'd run around there was like four or five clubs so you'd run around and you try to do two or three spots in a night and then uh and then it just you know grew from there
0: yeah that's interesting that's funny i i knew that you both kind of started at the same time but i didn't know that other piece of information uh that he was dating your roommate that's a funny story <laughs> to uh i mean that's a long time i mean you both have been just doing this for so long. I mean, I've been a fan for a very long time. I'm 46. So even in my 20s, when I became interested in comedy, I mean, just following you guys and watching how you've progressed. I'm very curious to get your perspective on this because it seems like today there is just a overwhelming amount of of comedians, people starting out like people that you've never heard of. And they're just kind of coming on to the scene from when you got started to how maybe comedians get started now, is there a huge or a significant difference from getting started now from when you first got started in comedy, like as far as like going to clubs or writing material, just the whole process, so to speak?
2: Yeah, things have changed a lot. I I mean, now I don't think there's, I was lucky enough to kind of start at a time when there wasn't, you know, there wasn't as much comedy happening. So there were less comedians probably, more of an opportunity to get paid to do it. And so Boston was a place that had a lot of work or New England in general. And so, yeah, I think comics today, I kind of feel for them because you have to kind of pick a city. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's very wise. I see a lot of comics go straight to New York or straight to LA and they think that that's where they're supposed to go and they want to be seen and they want a career, but that's the worst thing you can do. You've got to go to Austin or you got to go to Seattle or you got to go to Houston and Or you got to go to Boston, and you got to become a local comic that gets a lot of stage time, and that way you can get good. And then by the time you go to uh, a major city, you've got an act, and maybe you've met some people on the way up. You know, you've you've got a network, and you've you've watched and learned when bigger comics came to town. I think it's tough. You come right to LA, and you're lucky if you get two spots a week, and it's usually in front of a handful of other comics. So it's not not really great stage time. Um, it's, I think it's a more difficult time. And I think with this pandemic, I'm curious how many people will shake out those people that were kind of putting their foot in the water. I don't think are going to come back. I I think that, you know, it might send people out a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's interesting point. I I hadn't really thought about that, but it's true because it seems like everybody wants to come to LA, you know, and get a spot at the comedy store or whatever, any one of the million places that you can play there. And everybody kind of has the same goal, but I think it's important, you know, and find to be true, like you said, just kind of maybe starting out smaller, right? And, and coming to those bigger cities later down the road. Why do you think that is? Do you think these people just have this innate desire to, I don't want to say cut corners, but really just dive in feet first and just really get the exposure that they think they're going to get? Or maybe just perhaps lack of direction from somebody who might need to kind of steer them or direct them in the right direction. Yeah. I think it's,
2: I think it's more the latter. I think it's just, I think it's bad. It's just a bad choice. Um, and it's probably based on not having somebody to sort of pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, get good first. It's like, you know, New York and LA is like bringing your goods to market and you don't have the goods yet. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, you gotta log your, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book. Like you gotta do 10,000 hours before you get great at something. So start logging those hours. And also, once you get seen in New York or LA, say by a manager or somebody that books a a late night show or a festival, like once they see you, they kind of have you in their mind at a certain level. You don't want that to be your beginning level because it's going to be a decade before that person will look at you and see you a different way again. You know, they say the hardest place to really get taken seriously is wherever you started, because they knew you when you sucked. So it's better to not suck when you get to New York and LA.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I mean, if you think about it, you're going somewhere like the comedy seller and you're lucky enough to get some spots or whatever, however that process works. And then it's like, this wasn't very good. So then you don't get invited back necessarily uh, because you didn't do very well. right? Right. I mean, or you just thought you were better than you were. Do you have a lot of young comedians come to you for advice and just kind of ask you, I'm sure you have to, I mean, you're a staple in the comedy world and if so, like what do you typically tell young comedians, <laughs> I'm very curious to hear what this answer is.
2: Well, I tell people, you know, record all your sets. I think that's super important, you know, and listen to it the next day with a with a, a pad of paper and mark down everything you did right, everything you did wrong. And the next time you go on stage, you'll bring those changes with you. If you don't do that, I mean, some people have photographic memories or whatever. But to me, that's an opportunity to, to extend a bit. When you're listening to it and then you hit pause and you write out something, you might think of a tagline, you might think of another idea. And so I think it's not only good for correcting yourself, but it's a good way to stimulate more writing. And and I think it's really important to have longer bits. You see a lot of new comics and they have one joke and then another unrelated joke and then kind of a half a story. You know, it takes a certain diligence to take that piece of clay and, and get the most out of it that you can. And so that, that requires revisiting it, going back to it, pushing yourself when you think it's done, push yourself to get more out of it. So yeah, that, I think that's the advice I give a lot of comics and, uh, and to just not be too pushy.
0: I could see that being a problem too, you know, especially when you get around veterans like yourself or whomever, whatever that inner circle looks like, you know what I'm saying? Like you just have to really mind your P's and Q's I would imagine to kind of earn the respect from everybody and club owners and things like that. When you're out and you're doing this material and you're writing things and you're trying things out, do you write every single bit down word for word or do you do bullet points? Like what, what has been your proven way to really just take this material and work it out from start to finish?
2: I usually just start with an idea that's got, Uh, a strong premise and then I usually have, I know where it's going to end and then I'll go on stage and I'll wait until I, you know, I'm deep into the set and then I'll bring it out and I'll see where it goes. And I might write down, If I, if I say a line in a way that gets a big laugh, I'll write it down word for word from how I said it. And then, but I never write out the whole bit, but like, if there's one line that I really know I nailed, otherwise I'll never say it the same way twice if I don't write it down. And then, you know, I remember when I first started, I used to do a lot of uh, late night sets, you know, like I did, I did Letterman like five or six times. I did Conan like five or six times, Kilborn like seven or eight times and uh, Kimmel probably five times. And so every time you do one of those shows, they give you a producer and you go out to the local clubs and they watch you and they give you notes. Okay. And you really tighten it up. I mean, they might come out with you three nights and do four sets a night and they're giving you notes the whole time. And it's really, it's kind of humiliating because a lot of times (laughs) the booker is not really a funny person (laughs) and they're, they're only giving you notes based on what they know the host doesn't like. And it starts to, but anyway, the point is, I started writing out my bits when I would do those late night sets, word for word, like the entire five minute set, I would write out. And it was actually really useful because when you write it out, you start to see words that you're repeating, you know, maybe a better word you can, you start really fine tuning when you write out every single word. But I, you know, I've never had the patience to do that for like a whole one hour set.
0: Seems like a lot of work to just do it word for word. Well, I want to switch gears and talk about your podcast. You mentioned you have three of them. I do one and I carry the weight for all of it. And that's a lot of work. So how do you find time to manage all three of them? And my God, just some of the people you've had, I mean, you had Lewis Black recently, Brian Regan, his new special. I mean, my God, like, how do you mitigate your time to be able to do all of them and and get it all done? It's it's unbelievable.
2: Well, I couldn't do it myself. I uh, I luckily found a really good company called uh, Midcoast Media. They're in St. Louis. They do an amazing job. I just I record it and then I email them all the files of the recording, and then uh, you know when I record it on Zoom as well as the audio, and then they do whatever needs to be done. They upload it and they take the video and they'll cut like a one minute clip out of the video and they'll post it on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, yeah. So they, I couldn't do, I couldn't do all three if I didn't have support.
0: Yeah. And they're all great. And just the types of conversations that you have and all of that are just fascinating. It sounds like you've got a lot keeping you busy and and I really hope all of this calms down soon so you can, and others can continue to get out on the road a lot more and I've been vaccinated, so I'm ready to go out to the, the comedy club. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pro-vaxxer, however you want to call it. I know some people disagree, but I mean, just for my line of work, I, I had to get it. So yeah. I'm OK and normal. I have my card, my passport, whatever the case is. So where do you, you know, live? I'm in the Bay Area, San Francisco. So and you um, do stand up as well. No, just a podcast. No, I'm okay. a wine broker for a job. So I'm in agri- food and agricultural. So I'm out visiting clients all the time. Right. I work from home mostly, but because I'm out at wineries and stuff, you know, I'm interacting with people all day long. So yeah, I was able to get vaccinated and hopefully start doing some of these interviews live again. You know, that was part right. of the plan uh, to go to LA and start doing tapings. And then everything came to a screeching halt and all of a sudden nobody wanted to do it anymore. And so then I've been doing everything via zoom, but, uh, yeah, it's worked out, you know, to just be able to talk to people like yourself and really connect with people and just, you know, hear about their lives and things. One last question. I know you're super busy kind of looking back at your career over the 30 years and everything that you've done. Would there be anything that you would do differently as far as the way you went about comedy and pursued it or would you have just kept everything the same big question yeah it is and I you know there's not a right or wrong answer I'm just kind of curious like if you have any of those defining moments where you're like maybe I should have done this or maybe I shouldn't have passed on that and just you know went for it so to speak
2: I mean I think what's tough is that you know having a family was very important to me and and my and my wife is very important to me and so I made a very very clear choice. Once I got married and had kids that I was not going to devote my entire life to my career. Okay. And so I stepped off of doing stand-up all the time. And I started writing for TV about, well, when my son was born. So 20 years ago, I started writing for TV. I spent about half my time writing on shows and the other half doing stand-up. standup. And, it, and it's not half and half. It's like, I might write on a show Monday through Friday and then get on a plane after work Friday, and go to uh, San sure. Francisco, do shows all weekend, come back Sunday night at work on Monday morning. I try, I try not to do that because the whole point of writing is to do less stand-up so I can be home more. Yes. So, you know, whereas I used to maybe go on the road like, I don't know, 30, 35 weekends a year. Then I had kids and I started going on the road like maybe 20 times a year, 15 to 20. And so and going out a little bit less to the clubs when I'm home so I can be with my kids. So I don't have any regrets. And, you know, and writing kept me home more, but it definitely kept me from being a pure stand up. You know, sure. I think I probably would have gone to another level if I'd spent 40 weeks a year on the road all the time, and and never take a writing job. That's not how I was wanted to define myself in life. I wanted to be somebody who uh, could grow old with somebody that they loved and have kids to look after them when they're older.
0: I love and, it, dude. That, that's why I'm such a fan, Greg, is like you're a family guy. And the writing jobs, I mean, that's great. You can work from home probably, you know, at least for now, or, or if you're in a studio somewhere, right? A writer's room, you know, and then do comedy. But I don't know, man. I think your water holds just as well as... Some of these biggest names out there, in my personal opinion. Oh, thank Um, you, man. It's very true. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, gaslighting here, but it's very true because it's like there's that I your family's important to you, and that's to me is the most important thing, you know. Because you know, I've heard other comics say it's like, well, if you didn't have that, you know, you're at the Ramada Inn, you know, in some small podunk town (laughs) by yourself after you did five shows, and they're your 500 closest friends, right? And yeah. then now you're like at home. Uh, Bill Ingvall said that. He's like, and then, you know, you're at the Ramada off the highway, you know, just doing nothing except watching the paint dry on the wall. Yeah, right. And, you know, you have your kids at home. Did they ever show any interest in what you did at all? Or are they just kind of are their own individuals and and that's really OK with them? It's funny. My daughter, she
2: said something really nice to me the other night. She was really talking about how proud she was that, that, you know, that I found what I wanted to do with my life and that I was good enough. And she like looked at the house and she's like, you bought this house doing what you loved, Like you make people it. laugh and that bought us our cars and trips and like, you were able to do all that. And that inspires me to find something that I love. And I was like, that makes me feel pretty good.
0: I mean, my God, is there anything more amazing that a child could say to you than that? Yeah. You know, writing for Chelsea Handler or whoever, you just, you pick, it's like paid for the house and the cars. And they say, if you are doing what you love, then it's not work. And that's clear, you know, whether it's in your stand-up or the myriad of other, projects that you do well you have your podcast and you're on television you can just google you and something will pop up and hopefully again things get back to normal and and we can start getting out to the clubs and and the theaters again see more stuff greg thanks for uh being with me today i appreciate it
2: oh yeah it's my it's my pleasure brad thanks for hitting me up
1: that brings today's show to a close goodly do